I'm Al Gore, and these are my Vice Presidential Action Rangers, a group of top nerds whose sole duty is to prevent disruptions in the space-time continuum. I thought your sole duty was to cast the tie-breaking vote in the Senate. That, and protect the space-time continuum, read the Constitution. Welcome to the world of tomorrow. This is Back to the Futurama, your podcast voyage through one of the greatest TV shows Fox ever canceled. I'm Ben. And I'm Mike. And today we're talking about Season 2, Episode 16, Anthology of Interest 1. Ooh, the first. And we know that there's going to be more because it's currently titled 1. Now, I, I about this anthology, how interested are you? On a scale of 1 to 10... I'm an 11. Okay, is that really not interested or really, really interested? It's really, really interested. Okay, so 10 was the, I'm the most interested. And I'm more, I've turned it up to 11. 11's more than 10. Mm-hmm. None more black. Got it. Okay. We're starting off with some uh, Spinal Tap references, and I admit I've never actually seen that movie, so moving on. Oh, oh, no, hold on, <laughs> hold on, hold on. We found a movie that I have seen and that Ben is not. I just excellent. I I now I, I now I have an air of superiority for a moment. Aha! Did you enjoy that moment? It was a good moment. Anyway, let's continue. Okay, so yeah, this is anthology of interest one, which is uh, our first non-canonical episode. It's mostly non-canonical. Yes. Yes, the stories told within are not canonical. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we start off this non-canonical episode with the professor who has invented uh, uh, an invention called the Finglonger. Which is really just a hand with a really, 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 really long index finger. Yeah, like a little glove that you slip on your hand and it's got a really long index finger so you can poke things from across the room. I can see it's, it's an amazing idea. I don't know why it took until the year 3000 to invent this, because I need this in my everyday life. I can believe it. I always like to poke my coworkers from three desks away. I'm sure they would love that as well. (laughs) So uh, he uses it to turn on the what if machine, which generates video simulations of questions you ask it. Yeah, it's like this gold like TV almost with this like purple swirly pattern on it as soon as he turns it on like like a little screensaver waiting for your your question Uh speaking of questions about what ifs what would you ask it ben i would ask what if i did a podcast that was good dang i was gonna ask (laughs) something very similar what if this podcast was serious in any way Welcome to Back to the Futurama, a serious podcast about Futurama. I am Michael. I am Benjamin. Hello, listeners. Today we are talking about... The problem with poplars. I got nothing. I was gonna... (laughs) Yeah, it was too hard to try and be serious for that long. Anyway... (laughs) I really love the fact that we both asked the What If Machine about this podcast. Today we are talking about the, 
I forgot all my words <laughs> from from my film 101 class in college. I was going to be real smart up in here, and I failed. Well, we're, we're be. <laughs> Remember that question I asked about if I did a good podcast? Uh-huh. Yeah, I can see. I, I would like to see that simulation <laughs> as well. So, uh. <laughs> anyways, uh, the professor asks who would like to propose it a question, and Bender jumps in, and he immediately is like, ooh, ooh, I want to ax it a question, which, first of all, nice callback to the ax. Very good callback. Yes, exactly. There, there are a lot of callbacks to watch for in this episode, actually, and I really... Love that about this episode. Mm -hmm. He wants to ask it a question, and his question is, what if I was 500 feet tall? As we kind of zoom into the what-if machine as it prepares to show us, Zoidberg says, let's watch, shall we? The screen shows Bender bending a girder, but then it turns out it's a very small Bender. A normal-sized Bender. A normal-sized Bender, yes. It's a normal-sized Bender bending a normal-sized girder to build a giant bender. That's how I would describe it as well, yes. And there are dozens upon dozens of benders building this giant bender. On layers and layers of scaffolding and welding is happening. And great. It just the, the visuals like you've never seen. And then they flip a switch that goes from bender with his eyes closed to bender with his eyes opened. And he turns on. He immediately scratches his butt, burps, and says, my work here is done. (laughs) (laughs) And then an oddly placed uh, rocket on his butt uh, Uh starts up, and he rockets off to Earth because apparently he wasn't being built on Earth. So It's true. It's very interesting. He rockets to Earth with Iron Man playing in the background, and uh, yeah, he's heading straight towards Earth. As this is happening, Fry is is in a park uh, lamenting. He's just, he's so lonely since coming to the future. He sees a duck and it's like, will you be my friend? Holding out a, an entire slice of bread. And the duck uh, uh, bites him on, or I guess, yeah, bites him is probably correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, directly on the hand and he, he, he hurts it. And at that point, this giant bender falls directly on this pond and Fry and... Uh, he he's Bender seems to be in kind of pain almost. Sure. Uh, Fry is saved because he's kind of the Bender's like eye protrusion zone. I don't know how else to call that. The eye protrusion zone. Okay, that's I like I like the uh, the jingle. It's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he he's not injured in any way. He just kind of like holds on to to Bender's giant eyeballs and says, "Who are you?" <laughs> Bender replies, I'm a big robot and I want a big cereal. Uh, <laughs> and I believe Fry says, You too? <laughs> I just the the number of times <laughs> in my life where I have wanted to use the phrase I'm a big robot and I want a big cereal is a lot, but there's no you can't fit that into a conversation. It's not a it's not an actual reference you can call back to. It's just you saying dumb things. Yeah, it's not really a, something that comes up in organic speech. We'll put it that way. And uh yeah, they they become fast friends over their mutual interest of wanting a big cereal. Sure. And they start hanging out uh, in this montage all to the tune of uh, Mbop by Hanson. You remember that song? I sure do. Uh, uh, because I listened to the, I, it was in the episode that I watched as well. 
This is going to sound odd, but my preparation for today's episode had me looking up uh, Hansen on Wikipedia while at work today, while one of our systems was down, and that's in my search history at work now. So, And it's there forever. Forever. Now, was this part of the preparation for the podcast, or was it just in general? Well, I wanted to get one specific fact straight to make sure I didn't give any sort of false information about the band Hanson. Mm -hmm. Because this has nothing to do with Futurama. I just think it's a very funny fact. Okay. Hanson, to celebrate their 21st year as a band, which, first of all, makes me feel old. Sure. They brewed a beer. I think I remember hearing about that. You know what that beer is called? Wait, wait, I think I know. Mm Mmhop? Mmm hops. (laughs) Hey, you know, if you can't laugh at yourself, who can you laugh at? It's That's true. the way I, I, I just, live my life. I just think it's funny that they have a beer called Mm Hops, and I wanted to make sure I had all of that correct, which is why I was googling it's, Hansen at work. It's very important. And to the have only reason, correct. the only reason I was googling Hansen at work, Mike, I see you looking at me with those <laughs> questioning eyes. I have only the most questioning of eyes. Anyways, yeah, there's this montage too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bop, where they're playing frisbee in a park and they're spitting off an overpass. Yeah, they're playing hide and seek. By the way, spitting onto an over off of an overpass is one thing when normal sized fry does it. It's a whole other thing when giant sized bender like hawks this giant oil loogie that like splashes and takes cars off the road. I just like that when Bender does that, Fry gives him this look like bender and bender looks really like embarrassed and upset about doing this well i think he learned a valuable lesson that day also when they were when they are uh playing frisbee uh uh, bender jumps and like dives for the frisbee and catches it but crushes hansen and everybody that was at the 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 concert in the in the Mm -hmm. park yep and abruptly ends the song yep I mean, at least we know it's not like a Milli Vanilli situation where it's like all pre-recorded and they're just lip syncing. I mean, he crushed the stage. Like, if audio equipment worked after being crushed by a giant robot, I'd be actually quite interested in buying that equipment. Are, are you expecting to get crushed by a giant robot while recording this podcast? It's a non-zero chance. I can't argue that. Aha. Okay. Point taken. <laughs> The paper reports that this giant robot menace uh, has killed uh, like dozens of people. Mm-hmm. Um, none, none injured though. Huh. It points out just, just pretty good at that murder. Dead, part. dead or not, nothing in between. And so the army starts attacking Bender. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they are attacking him with what seem to be like uh, electric uh, zapper gun things, and uh, tr- uh, Fry tries to stand up for him. Um, this results in him getting zapped as well. Bender doesn't really appreciate this very much, so now his accidental Hanson crushing rampage becomes an actual, like, malicious, I'm mm-hmm. crushing the entire city rampage. Sure. Which, honestly, I'm surprised it took this long. Same. But there you go. He's he's crushing the city. So it, it goes to Planet Express, where we've got the everybody but Fry and Bender, mm-hmm. because they're... They're kind of watching. Uh, the professor used to use his experimental enlarging ray. 
I have a quick question for you though, Ben, about this scene because Leela is there. Yes. So are we assuming that the epi- the parts of the pilot went off without a hitch without Bender there? I mean, otherwise there's a plot hole, right? Right. I mean, you're not wrong about that. It also comes up uh, later in one of the other stories, actually, Fair. where yeah, the hypothetical events that wouldn't have happened if these these what if stories were true implies that one or more of the Planet Express crew isn't actually at Planet Express, but here they are. Right. And and to be fair, you know, it is a computer simulation in the universe, so there can be bugs in it. And the professor created it, so there are definitely bugs in it. There are definitely bugs in it. The professor gets a uh, guinea pig and puts it in this experimental larging ray. Mm-hmm. And then Zoidberg walks up and eats the guinea pig and he gets trapped because he's so excited about eating twice in one week. And he's like, help, friends, a guinea pig tricked me. And then they make Zoidberg really, really, really big. And uh, maybe not the best choice. No, I don't. Uh, well, I, I think it it's mostly okay because... If you're going to do an experimental thing that you don't know exactly what's going to happen, you want to use it on the person that obviously is not as cared about. And the Planet Express crew doesn't seem to care too much about Zoidberg most of the time. Yeah, but then he just immediately goes on his own rampage because he's like, who's intimidating who now, big city? And he starts just like he, he crushes a bank because they denied him mm-hmm. a credit card. Uh, he crushes the <laughs> Apollo Theater uh, with a nice callback to uh, when he was like, oh, it's like night at the Apollo all sure. over again. So again, more callbacks, which I love. Yeah. So very I, good. I just love the fact that he crushes the Apollo Theater for getting booed off stage as if it, that's the actual building's fault. Yeah, I never thought of that, actually. <laughs> I, can, I can understand why he destroys the bank because the people that work at the bank are probably in the building. But the people that booed you at the Apollo are not still in that Apollo building. You've got a point. You're just full of a lot of insight today. I I feel refreshed and ready to go about this episode. Bender's not too happy about the fact that Zoidberg is doing his own rampage. He's like, get your own city. And they get into a big fight, mm-hmm. uh, which harkens back to the like video game rampage. Like sure. That was a fun game. Sure. I just enjoyed that. And there's like King of Monsters, I think, was another one. Sure. There's a lot of video games about two giant monsters beating each other up in the middle of a city. Sure. I mean, there's also, you know, all the Godzilla movies and uh, related media as well. Yeah, I just... I like always Godzilla versus Mothra and things like that. I mean, I get that. I just always kind of go back to those games because I always loved those games as a kid. Sure. I thought they were the coolest. They are cool. Even though they were... The gameplay was so-so. Yeah. Anyways... Bender, uh, after like some fighting and some some funny bits that are probably fine, uh, Bender grabs Shea Stadium, where the the New York Mets used to play, and takes it up off its foundation and like dips it into the river, getting enough water in it and uh, boiling the water with his uh, fire breath. I guess is the best mm-hmm. way to call it. Uh, he then says, "Who wants lobster bisque?" Zoidberg gets curious and comes over, which is kind of a gross sentiment, I guess. Like cannibalism-ish? Uh, ish. Can- See, cannibalism light? Cannibalism light. Okay. 
Uh, so while when he comes over and is a little distracted, Bender knocks him into the water, and and Zoidberg is no, and and sinks into the water. And just when you think that everything is fine and it's okay to go hang out with your pal Fry mm-hmm. and make shrinky dinks, which Fry definitely walks up and says, "Do you want to? Do you want to?" Zoidberg comes back out of the water, just shouting, and he cuts off Bender's foot cuffs. And Bender falls over onto, I believe, the Empire State Building. I believe so, yes. It was it was Empire State Building-esque. Yeah, it probably is. Um, I wasn't looking too hard at the building. I was more like, oh, Bender, Bender has a building through him. Yeah, because it, it, he opens up his compartment and it's, it's yeah. a little bit through him. And then he kind of falls even further. And he's, he's definitely not going to survive this one. Yeah. Um, Fry is despondent and kind of climbs up a little bit and, you know... We we don't even know. We, he says like you've killed him, and we didn't even know I was here. Uh, Bender tells them with his final breath, "I came here with a simple dream, a dream of killing all humans." And this is how it must end. Who's the real seven billion ton <laughs> monster here? Not I. Not I. I love that line. It's so, so much. good. Um, uh, and that's just. Kind of how it ends. Yeah, Bender powers down, and that's the first tale of interest. Which it's weird that we get that little. We get like a little like, uh, like announcer guy say, saying uh-huh. that, but only only on this story. It doesn't happen on the other two. That's true. Which I always, which I find weird. Um, so I guess yeah. after the first commercial break, you remember. Then we go back to Planet Express, mm-hmm. um, where. They're trying to figure out who's going to ask the next question. And somebody suggests Leela does it. And she just says, oh, I, I can't. I'm just, I'm not impulsive enough. She doesn't know what to ask. Everyone tells her to be more impulsive, including Fry, who uh, may, <laughs> he pours uh, a, <laughs> he pours cereal on his head, followed by milk on his head, and then starts eating the cereal on his head. And in another callback, it's Admiral Crunch is the cereal oh, excellent. That he's, he's putting on his head. Um, a, a little bit later, as Leela has decided what to say, he he uh, he is cutting a banana into this cereal. I also just love how Bender, when this is happening, Bender is just like, "Go, man, go!" Like he, <laughs> Bender thinks this is the best thing. To be fair, Bender's not wrong. Like I would, I would admittedly kind of be into just standing there while somebody pours cereal onto their head and like eats it. Uh huh. Because that's, I don't even. I don't even know what I would do. Like, I don't, I don't, I mean, like at that point, you're just becoming an, uh, uh, an observer of the situation. I think, I don't think there's much, cause you can't stop them at that point. They're, they're invested in the situation. Yeah, man, you see somebody eating cereal off of their own head. You don't stop that. Like, no, this, <laughs> at this, this point is, they're in, this is a choice they have made. Yeah. They've doubled down on this. You can't, you can't come in and be like, no, I'm the casino. I've lost this metaphor a little bit. The casino. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, double, da- double down is a is a term in blackjack. Anyway, go ahead. Leela decides to ask the what if machine if she was a little more impulsive, but just just a little bit. So we we go into the computer simulation, and Leela comes into uh, uh, Planet Express and has some new boots with a with a wild green stripe. Woo! 
Mean, uh, meanwhile, <laughs> it cuts to Fry, who has a whole turkey on his head, he's, and he's pouring gravy on it. <laughs> I do love how the what-if machine just completely understands who Fry is. Oh, yeah. It's, it's it, very good. It's terrific. <laughs> oh, I just realized with the Morbotron, you can make a gif of Fry just pouring... <laughs> gravy on the turkey on his head i i think i need that i think i need that right now but i won't be able to get it right now but soon i'm sure so the professor comes in and pulls leela away saying he has to tell her something very important um and she he talks a little bit about about how he's you know getting older and he's he needs somebody to to be his heir and because she's so non-impulsive and level-headed and just super dull in general uh, the professor has decided to make Leela his sole heir. Also, in more what if machine plot holes, he already has an heir. There was a whole episode about it. Qbert's his heir. We talked about it on this podcast. Sure. It's an episode that already existed. So clearly, the what if machine is like pretty good. It's like ninety five percent plus major plot hole. Sure, I can, I can. I mean, like at this point, he's gotten to know Qbert a little bit more. So maybe he's decided Qbert is not quite who he wants to give the money. I don't know. Qbert's an ass. He's out. See, exactly. Maybe this is the, maybe the what if machine is going off of the professor's subconscious on this. I mean, we did get somebody uh, who tweeted at us and pointed out that Qbert's maybe the worst character on the show. And I was like, yeah, maybe it's not a, I mean, in the running, certainly. Yeah. And like, definitely there's like, an argument. Yeah. Definitely an argument for Qbert being the worst. So like, Maybe you're right. Maybe it's just Qbert's out, Leela's in. Regardless, that's kind of a mistake because um the more impulsive Leela. Uh so to set the scene up a little bit before I um <laughs> we did sort of skip a very important point of this uh-huh scene. We have a tendency of doing this, but we apologize and we're trying to make it make it better. Um so the professor along with his vast riches, has has to find somebody to take care of his man-eating anteaters. Which he's currently standing over and feeding into in this, just in a, this pit. Yeah, just a pit in this room that doesn't have any, like, fence or anything, really. And that's, that's the one tiny insignificant detail that we skipped over, because the very next th- thing she does is she kicks him into the pit of man-eating anteaters. As he's being eaten, he screams, You've killed me! You've killed me! Leela then says, what have I done? And the professor's like, I'm telling you, you've killed me. Uh, <laughs> Leela's like, all right, no, it's cool. Just try to be nonchalant. And she walks into the next room and Zoidberg is there. First of all, Zoidberg's knitting. Uh-huh. I can see it. Which is, it's a detail that I think I've always noticed, just never really taken in mm-hmm. that like Zoidberg is just sitting there knitting it's just part of the rich tapestry that is zoidberg and as somebody who has like tried that before i don't know how you do that without like fingers and opposable thumbs so good on you zoidberg good on you zoidberg uh he says we get it you're being nonchalant stop rubbing our noses in it <laughs> it's one of that's one of my favorite futurama <laughs> lines of all times because i that's one that i say all the time sure you, that that one is organic that one, I mean, you have to sort of force the word nonchalant, which is one of my favorite words. I think it's, it's a good word. It's a great word, I think. It is just uh, is a little weird. But yeah, it's a good 
It's a good line. Then somebody comes in. Hermes has discovered the professor's uh, demise. Um, He's going to call the police um, after he flushes a few things. Right. That's right. And Zoidberg says that we don't need the police here because he has mail order degrees in murderology and murderonomy. Zoidberg is afoot. <laughs> you got really excited for that. Uh, this is this is so good. You you know me. Hashtag Team Zoidberg. Mm-hmm. I certainly won't be possibly uh, airing on that choice later. Uh, so Hermes is going through some of the professor's papers and finds a new will, and uh, that says Leela is the heir. So she must have killed him. Uh, Leela Leela is like you don't it, that uh, that's not proof I killed him. And Hermes says, it's a video, Will. It shows it shows you killing him. And it's like just a, a flat like piece of paper, but on the other side, it's like a weird old school Mac, like, like OS 9 window. Like, and it's, it's got like this, quick time. Yeah. It's video, Will, of li- literally it's just a video of her kicking him into the anteater thing. So it then cuts to the original murder scene where Zoidberg is kind of checking it out when you can start to hear fighting noises. And you hear things like, no, stop hacking at... What are you hacking at? My torso? It is. It is my precious torso. (laughs) It's very good. There are a couple of bits where like Hermes kind of like is thrown through the doorway and like claws back while he's getting pulled. Um, Leela grabs the axe to do the aforementioned hacking of Hermes' precious torso. Um, There's a lot of good things while... while, uh, Zoidberg is questioning the man-eating anteaters. It cuts to the the kitchen where Leela is like trying to uh, unclog the or sh- sink or shove something or sh- down. Shove something down. You know, it could be either way, As I suppose. And Bender's like, "Oh, something wrong with the disposal, huh?" So when he starts digging around, and he's like, "Man, it's so weird because like first the professor and now Hermes is mysteriously mysteriously missing." And then he pulls out Hermes' dreadlocks. And his arm? <laughs> like, it's just full arm. It's fantastic. <laughs> uh, Bender is shocked. Food goes in this disposal. Hair and flesh go in the trash. I like that he's got that system. It's like, a good system. It, it's a good I'm, system. Yeah, it seems to work well. Leela's surprised that Bender doesn't actually seem to care. And he's like, well, no, it's fine. Plus, it lets me wet my beak a little bit. Uh, so, he is trying to... Uh, blackmail her extortion i i he stand corrected. extortion because the x makes it sound cool i stand corrected she decides to kill bender with a he she grabs a knife and uses it to smash the microwave and points it at him while turning it on he kind of does a lot of he, he basically falls apart and he's dead uh so uh she turned she decides to get rid of the corpse and she turns it into a go-kart that looks a lot like Bender. Mm-hmm. It even goes in a Bender voice, honk, honk, when she honks the horn. Uh, she also says, next time you want to want to do killing, have a piece of gum instead. So she goes into the other room in the Bender mobile, and uh, Amy compliments the go-kart uh, as hip and sexy, not like Leela at all. She asks, do you have any gum? Uh, she responds, no, and then Leela attacks her. I have written down, bye, Amy. Yeah, sounds about right. Everybody gets called into the parlor, which... A room we've never seen before. Planet Express apparently has. And Scruffy makes an appearance again. 
uh, first time in a while. I love Scruffy. If I, if I have a secondary team, it's hashtag Team Scruffy. Team Scruffy is a good team. It's a good team. It's one I think we can agree on. I'll have to think about really who my secondary. I mean, oh, that's tough. Okay, I'll work on that. Okay. So, so Qbert, Leela, Fry, Nibbler, and Scruffy are called into the parlor. Zoidberg is giving this uh, over-the-top speech about you know, deducing all the, the clues just like it's, you know, an episode of Sherlock or something. Sure. And he doesn't really seem to understand. Or really go quickly through the situation at all. Kubert uh, kind of interrupts and says, I know who it was. And then the lights go off. You hear some sword noises and the lights are on and Kubert's dead. It happens a couple more times when Scruffy says, I know who killed yeah. them people and he dies and uh and nibbler is like hopping up and down making noises um what i like to describe it as is, is kind of a kebab yeah it's because like a, it it in it first cubert's there then scruffy gets layered on top with the with the sword and then when nibbler dies he's stuffed in between the two it's a good old-fashioned a murder accusation kebab uh, I, an accuser kebab one of my favorite dishes of my my family um so remind me not to go to dinner at your place well don't accuse (laughs) that's dumb that sounded like a threat (laughs) okay maybe we should cut that part out of the podcast zoiberg decides the crime is unsolvable except then a letter slides under the door and he says oh it's a letter from bender my good friend dear he opens it up and it says dear dr jerkberg (laughs) good opening (laughs) <laughs> which again it's that zoidberg like oh like he's my best friend and oh no he's actually kind of a jerk but like zoidberg doesn't yeah he doesn't quite catch that doesn't quite get that um it's basically uh this letter saying you know if you're reading this i'm already dead and the murderer you know just mm-hmm. trying to to out who the murderer is and leela's getting nervous and fry just stands up and he's like man i'm bored this is boring he just walks out. Yeah, and as he goes out, Leela asks him to get the lights. Then later on, Fry walks in uh, on Leela in the uh, kitchen. kitchen area, and she's eating lobster. Hmm, interesting. With big old Dr. Zoidberg claws. And a big old Dr. Zoidberg eye. Which weirds me out because when uh, Fry takes a piece and bites it, he just bites straight into the claw. That's not how eating lobster works. That isn't how eating lobster works at all. That's true. Well, he seems to be fine with it. He seems to be fine with it. It just, it's always, that's always weirded me out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's inexplicable. Anyway, Fry thinks the deaths are due to it being on top of a burial ground. Leela says, no, that's not it. And then immediately he puts it together that it's Leela. And so she says, yeah, it's me, but. You know, I just did one and then another, and then I just couldn't help myself. And now to shut him up, she has to do something really impulsive. And she kind of charges at him in the corner. And then it cuts to her place in the bedroom. They are disrobed under some sheets. And uh, and Fry says, I really like this impulsive view. And then they turn off the lights. He screams a little bit. and's like, I really like it. <laughs> <laughs> And that's the second tale of interest. 
so back at Planet Express, they are going to do one more what-if machine simulation. And Fry gets to ask now, and he says, what if Bender was a 500-foot-tall robot? <laughs> Everyone's like, idiot, we've seen that one already. Like, I know, I liked it. I just want to see it again. <laughs> That's a stupid request. <laughs> oh, the professor is like not having it. He's like, that's a stupid request. Uh, so Fry decides to ask, well, okay, what if I never fell in that freezer doodle and came to the future, Jiggy? And and the professor like throws some more shade on him. That's that's a good question. But asked in a profoundly stupid way. <laughs> it's so good. The professor activates the machine, this time with like a hand crank on uh-huh. the side. And it flashes back to the cryogenic lab in the year 2000. The year 2000? Fry is delivering the pizza to I.C. Wiener. Uh, if you remember the pilot, this is very similar. And he's sitting there in the desk, thinking, here's to another lousy millennium, so on and so forth, just like in the pilot. But then when the chair tips over, instead of falling into, uh, as Fry puts it, the freezer doodle... Mm-hmm. Uh, he just falls back and wangs his head on the side of the freezer. And interesting to note, it cuts to under the desk, and the shadow of Nibbler isn't down there this it's time. It's not. Hmm. So, pretty interesting there. I have a few theories. Either one, the what-if machine doesn't know about that. Or two, ben Nibbler failed in his mission. It's true. Uh, Fry gets up and immediately this glowing blue portal opens mm-hmm. up, sort of floating there in front of all of these freezers. And it is the Planet Express crew. It's like the Professor, Leela, uh, Zoidberg, and Bender, I mm-hmm. think. Sure. And Fry's like, is one of you Icy Wiener? And Zoidberg's like, if if that's his pizza, then I'm Icy whatever. And... Yeah, he uh, he runs off because, I mean, he's I'd be pretty scared too, yeah. right? Uh, the professor says that the fabric of ty- space-time seems to have ripped. And uh, the next day, Fry is working at Panucci's Pizza. Panucci's Pizza. And of all people, Stephen Hawking shows up and uh, throws a lot of shade at, at Mr. Panucci a about how his pizza's bad. Well, it seems to be kind of like a give and take, like, oh, you're home for the usual? I'd like something good. <laughs> I'll make you the usual. But then he, when when Fry does deliver the news about his what he's calling a Fry hole, um, the portal that he saw earlier, mm-hmm. uh, Stephen Hawking is like, "I must go. We have things to do." And leaves. Uh, Panucci says, "Hey, your pizza's ready. Throw it in the garbage." So the thing that I like when Stephen Hawking guest stars on. Uh, these shows because he's he was in Futurama and he was also in an episode of The Simpsons. Sure, is that Stephen Hawking talks w- with a computer, mm-hmm. and so it would be very easy to just be like, oh no, like Stephen Hawking, you know, let's do a computer voice. They always actually get Stephen Hawking. Like it's really Stephen Hawking talking with his computer in these episodes, mm-hmm. and that always tickles me because like. It would be the easiest celebrity voice to fake, and they never do, and it's great. Yeah, it's awesome for him. Yeah, that's the thing that's awesome for him, well, not I mean, the internationally renowned well, I mean, science. Look at like Bill Nye or Neil deGrasse Tyson. 
they need to to sh- to push out the science to the masses, right? And if Futurama is the way to do it, the Futurama is the way to do it. Uh, talking about fry holes and hawking holes and hawking tubes. Anyway, continue. Anyways, uh, no, I just think it's a fun fact. Um, <laughs> too, too. I'm not. And Fry Fry thinks nothing of it, and then uh, later on, it's dark. Fry locks up Panucci's pizza as he leaves for the day, and he walks down an alley, and you hear Stephen Hawking's voice. Um, I'm sorry, you don't know it's Stephen Hawking yet. You hear a very computerized voice say, seize him, and Fry's like, who said that? <laughs> and then uh and then you can see some silhouettes of people holding tennis rackets and just beat the crap out of fry for a bit and he wakes up in um a like chair somewhere mm-hmm. he, he doesn't know where he is and uh again of all people i feel like i'm gonna say that a lot al gore walks into frame <laughs> and so good Again, really Al Gore. Really Al Gore. Um, his first of two appearances in, in yeah. Futurama. Uh, but Al Gore shows up. Recurring star Al Gore. With his vice presidential action rangers, <laughs> a group of top nerds whose sole duty it is to prevent disruptions in the space-time continuum. <laughs> I love the fact that you had there the whole title. Oh, it's so good. Fry, uh, in a rare moment of Fry being smart, says, I thought your sole duty was casting the tie-breaking vote in the Senate. It's like, that and protecting the space-time continuum. Read the Constitution. So he introduces everybody (laughs) to the presidential action rangers. You've already Um, met Stephen Hawking. Also is Nichelle Nichols, who is, was, of course, Uhura in uh-huh. Star Trek, mm-hmm. not Star Wars. Sure. And this is not the same. Yes. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, this is not the same problem that plagues Star Trek in the future because we're still in 2000 at this point. So right. you can still. Well, I won't discuss it further. Um, also is Gary Gygax, the, the creator, creator of, of Dungeons D&D. And- Say we did that wrong. Take two. Also, Gary Gygax is there, the creator of Dungeons and Dragons. And he is like, it's uh, and rolls some dice and then looks at him and says, pleasure to meet you. Yep. That that sure is D&D-esque. And also Deep Blue, the IBM supercomputer who beat... Gary Kasparov, right? Yes. I couldn't mm-hmm. remember his name, but... Uh, beat the the grandmaster ga- grandmaster uh like highest ranking mm-hmm. chess player yeah, in the big, world it was a big deal um that's their summer intern and uh it, it performs a move with its bishop and al gore says not everything is solved with chess you'll learn this someday uh so yeah the the great thing is um it again more just awesome guest stars because it really is Nichelle Nichols and Gary Gygax on this episode Mm -hmm. which is really great it's fantastic I love that this is the the plot that you've put these people into it's very amazing to me so I also I I have a bit of a a side tangent um all right let's go this one actually relates to Futurama it's not another mm hops it's not a mm hops beer um so I think this episode is interesting because uh, way back in the day, um, Al Gore's wife, Tipper Gore, mm-hmm. uh, wrote a book that uh, part of it, she really disparages Dungeons and Dragons as like, you know, satanic, like suicide inducing, sure. all of that. And so it's very interesting to see Al Gore 
and Gary Gygax in on the same episode, mm-hmm. uh, you know, having having this like weird dialogue about all of this stuff. And part of the reason all of this actually came to be is that I don't know if a lot of people know this, but Al Gore's daughter is one of the screenwriters for Futurama. Oh, that's fascinating. So, you know, this this all happened to come together because of her. And, like, that's really neat that, you know, like, it, back in the day, you would never have expected Al Gore and Gary Gygax to be in the same room together. And now here they are defending the space-time continuum as the pres- vice presidential action rangers. Yeah, I would never have... have so I, there's there's a neat little tidbit for I you. I never would have. A, a neat little tidbit that actually involves Futurama. There it is. For once. <laughs> for once. <laughs> there oh, so they also point out that uh they are currently traveling in I don't even remember what Nichelle Nichols says, but uh it's some like convoluted like transport yeah. something something and Gary Gygax is like, it's a school bus. <laughs> I love Gary Gygax in this episode. He comes off as such a <laughs> dimwit, which is why I always love when you do get the the people, uh, like you do get celebrities doing their own voices and then they have lines like that. Yeah. Because I'm like, that's great because you are straight up asking somebody to pretend to be themselves and also dumb at the <laughs> same time. And I love it. It's fantastic. So they kind of determine that the tear in the continuum is because something should have happened, but didn't. And they need to remedy that. Or else the entire universe could be destroyed. And Al Gore points out that as an environmentalist, he's against that. I mean, you know, makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, a rational point. Uh, they go to applied cryogenics and uh, Fry walks them through what, what happened. He explains about how his chair tipped over and uh, he wanged his head on one of the things and Al Gore says, well, it's obvious what should have happened. That wang to the head should have killed you. So they determined uh, that they will murder him. Um, They do this by holding him down and having Stephen Hawking roll over (laughs) him multiple times with his his wheelchair. I I can't believe I said that sentence. (laughs) The... uh, portal opens up again so it's obvious it's not working um stephen hawking points out that he calls this a a hawking hole Mm -hmm. and he also calls one of the freezers a hawking chamber sure um (laughs) i I love the i I love the characterization of stephen hawking just wanting to put his name on everything the character the the guest stars in this one make this so good and we'll talk more about that in grades i'm sure i'm sure um so Nichelle Nichols says, murder isn't working, and that's the only thing we're good at. Gary Gygax says, maybe we should, and starts <laughs> rolling some dice. And Al Gore says, put the dice away before I take them away. <laughs> Which I feel is like maybe even a little meta after that story I told about. A little bit, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, thank you, Thank you for adding that context. That's actually really nice. Uh, Bender shows up in the hawking hole and throws a beer bottle at Fry because, you know, he currently doesn't know who this guy is. Yeah, and Bender's main reaction is to throw things at people. Um, Nichelle Nichols determines that she, he, that Fry should have gotten frozen 
and they try to get him in the tube before universal destruction. They only have a few seconds. Bryce says, all right, but I need a weapon to fight off drunk, drunken robots when I wake up. And Gary Gygax <laughs> gives him his plus one mace. <laughs> and he's so excited. He's like, here, take my plus one mace. <laughs> oh, man, I love this. Oh, um, man. Fry uses the plus one mace to smash the window uh, or the glass on this freezer doodle. Or Hawking Chamber, however you want to call mm-hmm, it. Sure. And he laughs because he's not going to go to the future, and he's he's very excited about this. Uh-huh. And um, meanwhile, well, mm-hmm. the universe kind of gets sucked up into this thing. Sure does. Fry and the vice presidential action rangers uh, kind of reappear in this white space. They talk for a little bit like, where are we? I don't know, but it's sure not the universe. And then Gary Gygax... Uh, is just like anyone want to play Dungeons and Dragons for the next quadrillion years? And everybody is like, "Yeah, sure, why not?" And Al Gore is like, "I'm a level ten vice president." <laughs> <laughs> I love how much uh, characterization Al Gore gets around being a vice president. It's very good. Yeah, just oh, that's the end of our third and final tale of intrigue. And then the professor declares that the what-if machine is not worth the gold it's made out of because that story was ludicrous. Stephen Hawking in a pizzeria. <laughs> That's the one thing I would have a problem with that in that episode. Uh, he tosses it in the garbage. But the thing longer is a rousing success, and everybody claps. Like, Good job, professor. Um, so it turns out... Uh, this, the entire episode was just a what if that Professor asked to the what if machine. What if he invented the Finglonger? And he gets pretty sad and he's like, so that's what would have happened if I invented the Finglonger. A man can dream though. A man can dream. And then it just fades to credits and that's that. Which means that it is time for... Grades! I am excited to talk about the grades on this one because I love this episode so much. The only problem I have with it is I find the Leela impulsive story to be a little bit tedious, mm-hmm. but not not much. I mean, it's still got a lot of good lines, especially from Zoidberg. Zoidberg really in that in in that specific story just hashtag Zo- Team Zoidberg and uh, just so good. But the other two stories are. So on point. Um, I especially, obviously, I, I've already been gushing about it. <laughs> I love the last one with all the guest stars, Al Gore and Gary Gygax and all the all the the people playing themselves and just being these awesome, amazing character, caricatures of themselves. The, when I very first started playing Dungeons and Dragons, my friends and I would always roll dice and be like, it's a pleasure to meet you (laughs) like this episode is one of the ones i truly love about futurama i think i've i've gushed on and on about it enough so i'm just gonna say straight up a it could be better with uh, a little bit better middle story but otherwise fantastic a sure uh, I, I think you're really on the money. Like it's a very good episode. It gets the person, you know, like the characters correct. It, it, it's funny. It tells interesting stories. 
you know, it's non-canonical, so they can like push the boundaries of what a Futurama story can be, which is kind and of cool. Boy, do they! Oh, they sure do. In most of them, people die. Um, <laughs> in fact, in all of them, at least one or two people. A die. lot of a lot of people. Yeah, there's a there's a big body count in this episode, but the fact is, they can push the boundaries of what a Futurama story is and who these characters are and what they would do and who they you know, like, especially the middle one. Like, you're you're kind of poking the edges of you know leela's kind of presented as kind of like non-impulsive and you know like stable but if even a, a segment of in, you know instability comes into that she becomes kind of a murderer so it's it's it, it it's an interesting like uh point of view of like what happens if this character was this or that the the bender story is kind of kind of fluff because he's never going to be 500 feet tall but the other two are very interesting to me because it's more of a character like what would happen if this situation like because okay. it is they are actually situations that could happen if you know Lila was a little bit different or Fry fell a different way. So I think that's a very interesting um, like uh, investigation of hey well, how would this situation have played out. Um, that being said it's hilarious it's it, I I love it every time it comes on I I think you're right in giving it an A. Okay. Uh, and we, of course, always want to know what you think about Futurama. Uh, let us know which one of these stories you liked the best. Or just let us know what you think about the job we're doing talking about Futurama. Or if you have other weird stories about Hanson. I mean, you know, <laughs> feel free to feel free to email yeah. us uh, about whatever dumb stuff you want to email at us about. <laughs> You can do that by sending an email to Back to the Futurama Podcast at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at Back to Futurama. And you can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Back to Futurama. And we are also on iTunes, although I believe it's now called Apple Podcasts, but I'm going to keep calling it iTunes. Um, please rate, uh, review, and subscribe and uh, send it over to your friends. Yeah, we always appreciate when you share it with people and we get uh new listeners we anytime we find someone new listening we we always get a very big delight out of that so absolutely and every time we get you know an email message or a tweet we're always over the moon and that's gonna do it for us this week so until next time i'm ben and i'm mike goodbye Goodbye from from the world world of tomorrow. tomorrow